Welcome to the Dystopian Republic. I am your host, Raul Guerrero. Our story for today begins on the morning of November 19th, 2008. The well-off suburb of Hambleton, La Costa del Norte brightly shined its archaic grandiosity. In a mansion's heavy cornices, pedimented gables, and unadorned friezes, Bliss Rubio awoke to a good morning wish from her parents, Eldon Sr. and Trinity. Her parents followed that wish with news they won't be coming home for the third straight weekend. Sensing Bliss's vexing, Eldon and Trinity declared how his managing and her acting confined them to the Delcadopolis Metroplex. They called her out for refusing to realize how well she had it, believing their wealth gave her no right to complain. Bliss hung up on them to spare herself of any further discomfort. The picture Bliss took with them and her brother, Eldon Jr., at their fishing trip a year ago pensified her sadness. Her parents' glamorously elitist photos on the covers of Punto Uno Percento and Bromelia Oi made neglectful owners out of them and a neglected pet out of her. Looks rubbed out only by Eldon's sudden yell. He was seconds removed from a nightmare too horrible to discuss. Bliss cuddled him in a cocoon, salving the wounds of the heart dealt by that incubus. They jogged into the kitchen to batter and griddle chocolate chip pancakes to an ensemble of rhythms. Well into their meals, Eldon thanked Bliss for being the mother figure Trinity should have been. Joyous tears wetting her eyes, she told him that she took pleasure in treating him like her son every single day. An arriving school bus had Bliss swiftly kiss and hug Eldon goodbye before sending him on his way to his latest day of the third grade. With him away, she washed and freshened up her face and hair, giving a prideful but brittle grin to her reflection. At a bus stop, half a dozen eighth graders in designer pajamas discussed trivialities when Bliss sauntered to them in her rosy red jammies. That saunter opens the floodgates to scoffs referencing her caring bear colors and Bloody Mary nickname, causing her to feel smaller than an abandoned puppy. Her humiliated pleas for them to stop making fun of her did her no good. The insults looped on until their bus pulled up and folded open 
its door. Kept put by her hurt feelings, a pitiless honk jolted Bliss into stepping inside. Her walk up the aisle exposed her to seat blockages and orders not to menstruate, seating her by her lonesome at the back of the bus. During the ride, Bliss recalled the tea times she had with her parents and brother, and how tight they knitted prior to the turn of the millennium. Getting her books in the school hall, three tampon packs walloped them off her hands. The laughter that followed led to Mia Aleman, Sonia Willard, and Nova Pimental ganging up on her, pinning her against her locker. Told by Bliss to go away, they drubbed her with their shoves and metal slams, throwing her onto the floor face first. The bell ringing, Glenda ordered everyone to go to class, ending the guts they were busting at Bliss's expense. As she left with Sonia and Nova, Mia wished Bliss's Bloody Mary self a nice day. Heartlessly told by Glenda to get up, Bliss complied, brusquely asking to see Vance, her Tato Jr., at once. The heating in the principal's office blew Bliss and Vance's tensions all around. He thumbed his nose at her for still not heeding his advice to ignore her bullies after their previous two conversations. Bliss blurted out how she's been ignoring them for two years, yet their bullying hasn't waned an inch. Vance gruntingly wagged his head, bluntly telling her to suck it up, be tough, and never come to him again for any reason. Hot under the collar, Bliss accused him of siding with the bullies because he was one himself. Ordered to leave or be suspended, she relented, slamming the door as hard as she could on the way out. At lunchtime, middle schoolers rubbed elbows to a clown's burgers, fries, apple slices, and milk. Bliss sat and ate by herself, watching her ex-friend, Carrie Remedios, give three boys an erotic dance in her child-friendly night clothes. Her bullies gladly recorded Carrie's gyrates and squats, planning to post their videos on Pricep. Bliss's heart sickly ached seeing Carrie so acutely objectify herself. The Carrie from fifth grade wouldn't dare give in to anyone's peer pressure. She was a girl Bliss proudly called her best friend. Their early lives lining side by side, they fast became each other's life rafts, facing the world shoulder to shoulder, until an incident between their parents enraged Carrie into severing the bond. Scorned and heartbroken, whatever love Bliss once had for her was now under the sod. When lunch recess came around, Bliss casted herself out, 
color penciling her being in the form of a royal princess dressed in silked ruby and diamond. Claude, Kelvin, and Alan Meza, three cousins who made fun of her at the bus stop, snatched her drawing book. Their snatch resulted in a tugging struggle that tore Bliss's book to shreds, maddening her into shoving them flat on their rear ends. Those impacts had the yard duty on watch come down on her, putting the discipline squarely on her and getting the boys off the hook on the condition they go to the nurse to treat their headaches and bruises. Bliss's timeout and the mordant ridicule it exposed her to ignited in her a vengeful flame. That ignited gas wasn't helped by her bullies pushing Carrie to reduce herself to a piece of property under her crush's ownership. Such a sight was to Bliss a silver lining, narrowly banded by the dejection and discomfiture beyond Carrie's smiling contentness. She spent her study hall harshly stroking and scribbling up her notebook pages. Bliss drew herself driving a stake through Vance's heart and beating a crying Mia to a bloody pulp as Sonia and Nova sobbed over their beatings. Her drawings summoned up the afternoon. Her bullies beat and soaked her hull in the locker room showers, confirming her feeling that it's time she gave them a taste of their own medicine. Minutes after dismissal, Mia and her lackeys smoked on the school field. The nicotine helped Sonia not get too flustered mulling over her parents, Sayada and Isabella, a provincial legislator and municipal councillor. All the adults adored Sayada and Isabella, whereas the kids saw them in a totally different light. Sonia and her sister Felicia moved in with Mia, having been lasered by that light one too many times. Under the bleachers, an ill-willing bliss found Sonia's whinging, pathetic, cracking, and clenching her hands repeatedly. Her bullies sang a verse about their lives being fun, wealth, popularity, and friendship, and making her life a living hell. Their guffawing veiled Bliss's face with blankets of choler. Her cue to approach came when her bullies neared the field's center spot. Attacking them from behind, Bliss punched Mia's cheek, Sonia's eye, and Nova's nose. A punch to the back of the head switched the momentum out of her favor. That shift fell on Bliss, a rain of jabs and boots. Bleeding out the mouth by the cough, she cradled her battered body into a ball, bawling her eyes out. Her bullies shouted at her 
for being a crybaby loser and Bloody Mary. Asked why they kept on bullying her, Sonia and Nova explained that it was amusing and enjoyable. Mia then advised Bliss to kill herself if she wanted her bullying to stop. She blurted out that no one liked or wanted her, nor would give a darn if she died. Mia swore on her life that she'll have Bliss killed if she ever attacked her or her lackeys again. Her body now limp, Bliss was left to lie in her enfeebled, traumatized state, a trance made well and true by Eldon's text that he'll be sleeping over with his friends for the rest of the week. She staggered home, smashed up the entrance hall, and her family's roaring twenties monochrome, lamenting into a fetus-like curl. Bliss sleeplessly remained where she was until Thursday broke, the day before Hamilton was to head to Amicidia Lake for its outdoor education trip. Reluctant to take that trip a day earlier, she now absolutely had no intention of going, convinced it'll only lower her spirits even more. The ledges helped Bliss complete her staggered walk up the stairs. She stripped off her pajamas, changing into angel white cottons, denims, and corks. Bliss hissed in pain and shivered like a kitten at her pinkened eyes, grayed eyelids, and dried tears. She staggered a street cross short of stepping onto her school's grounds. Her peers' laughy hectorings placed her hand over her mouth, shaking over having to relive yesterday. She turned away and unsteadily walked on, sinking deeper into her unhappiness with every shaky step. In ones or twos, autos, trucks, and motorcycles sped north and south past the highway bridge. Bliss's right-to-left walk across its sidewalk had her tenderly grip the fence. To passing cars, she was a curious onlooker, beholding a sight two stories high. No drivers or passengers could see the hurt dwindling Bliss's will to live. The advice Vance and Mia gave her tightened and trembled her grips. What Mia said to Bliss about her life not mattering locked her left foot in a mesh hole. Bliss was a tear-oozing impulse away from jumping onto the speeding traffic below. But then, Eldon's gratitude for racing him when Trinity couldn't wiped her desire to jump to her death clean. She didn't want him to go through the loneliness that brought her to the brink. Refusing to grant her bullies two wins for the price of the one they almost got. That refusal, nonetheless, was no help in solving her enfeebling trauma. Bliss's stagger 
finished its bridge cross, moved past the ghost town of Deneve into a breezy riverside park and down one of its trails of open grass, trees, shrubs, and flowers. Her painful aches worsened such that a big step almost slipped her off her feet. Hands and knees planting on the trail, Bliss hung her head low, feeling needles jab her bruises. She angrily wished her bullies would go away and never come back. A black G gently scudded its way through the route Bliss walked down. Boasting its sewing-fretted love for A, M, and R, the SUV stopped at the park's front lot. Its driver was Andrina Navarro, and Marti, Meza, and Rocio Jaramillo were her passengers. The ducks going about their day at their nest embittered the hurt in Andrina's eyes. Noticing this, Marti tried comforting Andrina by rubbing her thigh. Her uptrickling rub discomfited Andrina and scandalized Rocio. Once that rub dug into her pants, Andrina screamily and harshly slapped Marti's wrist. Tending to her hand, Marti anxiously told Andrina she was simply trying to help. Andrina didn't buy Marti's excuse, calling her a sick freak for her digital obscenity. Rocio scornfully asked Marti how dare she, if she was effing serious, and why she'd put their years-long friendship on the line for such a short pleasure. Andrina could feel the apologies rapidly fevering Marti's mind, forcing all her anger out in a screaming deep breath. The ill at ease she saw all over her erased any doubts she had about her sincerity. Andrina warned Marti that she'll crumple her hands into yarn balls if she ever touched her in that way again. Marti gave Andrina her word that she won't ever again cross that line, sterning Rocio into holding her to that promise. Asked whether they were still a trio, Andrina and Rocio took her hand, uniting in a free-spoke clasp that reeked of prolonged strain. Feet from the nest, Andrina frisbee threw a large pebble into it, scurrying the ducks into taking to the skies. The ducks' panicky quacks and flight takes deviled her grin, winning her high-five elations from her two closest companions. Turning to the trail, they saw Bliss still sitting where she nearly fell. A moment went by before they saw her gloomy state and terrible injuries. Dipping their tickers in the dim waters, Bliss's was well into. To them, there was no question that she was in an ugly place, a spot that had the darkness 
to lead her life to its expiration. The planed pike staffs circling Bliss had orbited them at many points in their lives, flashing scenes from their winds-inducing pasts. Their approach to her had them wondering what they'll uncover and how effective their comforts would be. But most of all, they were all set to get noxious on whoever put Bliss in that state. Clawing her low-hanging head, she saw preppy flats, gothic boots, and jockey sneakers stand in her presence. Beholding to her Andrina, Marti, and Rocio, their stolid solicitudes were inadequate in lessening Bliss's distrust. That considered, they personably introduced their names to her, giving her the comfort to do vice versa. Bliss met Andrina's demand to know who hurt her with a silent head droop. Her head shaking and ground clawing refusal to tell kneeled Marti to her sitting height. The intense intimacy in her eyes considerably allayed Bliss's caginess. Marti's not intention to inflict harm fell short of inclining her to put names to her bullies. That oversight used the scars she bore from her seven years of being an orphan to draw a spitting image of what Bliss was going through. Her nickname of Bloody Mary hurt as bad as the Chavita Fascista label Marti was given. They both had no one to turn to, being beaten regularly, pushed around frequently, lesioned every so often, told their lives had no worth, and advised to end themselves. Bliss wanted to end her hell on earth, rise up against her bullies, and never experience their harassment again. Marti pressed her to give the three names needed to make her wants a reality. That press popped open her eyes and stripped her state of its frailty, galvanizing her to identify her bullies by their full names. Nervously hugging herself, Bliss waited for her bullies to show their faces. For Hamilton, the day before outdoor ed was synonymous with large numbers of kids skipping school, doing dirt, and settling scores, so much so that the school board chose to turn a blind eye by internalizing their ignorance of it. The winds strung Bliss's nerves higher and colder than a polar bowshot. She had no clue how well the plan she was about to carry out would go. How her bullies would react, what they would have, and the revenge her new friends had in mind knifed her edge. A short while was all she had to wait for her bullies to set foot in the park. Mia's cashmeres, Sonia's cottons, and Nova's denims hubristically underlined the morbid fun they had 
12 hours earlier. The adrenaline exciting their veins made that fun well worth the disheavals, dirtying their skins and frizzing their hairs. The nest of ducks Andrina threw her rock at drenched them in the spite that conducted the enormities. They enthusiastically and vigorously partook in. They emptied their yellow-crossed BB guns into the grassy bed, wiping the whole flock out in a hail of pea-sized metallic balls. It came and went so fast that the ducks had no time to quack in horror or brace for their coming expiries. The senses of power and control Bliss saw in her bullies just about threw her into an overwrought panic. Still in all, that act dried to dust the mud of her hesitance to get the retributive ball rolling. Her bullies sunlessly smirked daggers having plans to cut open the sunbirds and feel their blood cells and soft organs. Bliss's whistle of her mouth stopped their hands at the rivets of their pants. The four car lamps between her and them spanned from the lot's middle to its left end. Not expecting to lay eyes on her, her bullies believed sincerely that their physical beating would suffice in keeping Bliss from leaving her bedroom, let alone her house. They did not mince words when they told her they'd finish her off if she ever tried to fight them again. Bliss understood how serious her bullies were, especially after seeing the callous joys decaying their facial poises. Her retort was that she solemnly promised to yank as many teeth out of their mouths as they yanked out of hers. It was the last thing Bliss thought about before throwing Mia's cheek her first punch. Looking back, she felt arrogant, thinking that she could defeat them with her bare hands, even with the element of surprise at her disposal. This time around, Bliss's hands weren't bare nor confined to a fence perimeter. She dared her bullies to come get her if they wished to follow through on their warning. Her challenge elicited them to switch their knives' blades out, also crossing in yellow. Their elicits had Bliss dashing down the trail, which in turn had her bullies give chase. Concurrently, in a thicket that had the height and seclusion to block sights from entering and sounds from exiting, her friends uprightly gathered around Andrina's brand new smartphone, the price pages belonging to Bliss, her parents, and brother ill-humored, Andrina's sniggering, shadowed, Marti's glaring, and umbraged, Rocio's unsmiling. The last photo the Rubios took together was at the 2007 North Sur Highway Rally. Their giggly grins from ear to ear try too hard to convey their high spirits. The images posted sense 
gave substance to that photographic artificiality. Esther's scroll through the pages carried on. Bliss's bolt from her bullies circuitously approached the thicket that was, in fact, the park's leveled summit. Her bullies were resolutely on her tail every time she looked back. Their chase's ingress into the thicket's entryway handed her bullies quite a bit of ground on her. Desperate for anything to throw at her pursuers, Bliss stumbled to grab two tennis balls of solid minerals. Her bullies closing in, Bliss threw her rocks back, hitting Sonia and Nova's bellies, splashing them on all fours and grating Mia's feet to an abrupt halt. Mia ran to her lackeys' aides, embracing and helping them through their dusty coughs. Bliss's sprint into the tunneling brush respired out of her a guttural that was low, short, and ticked off. It sedately pacified her the farther into the trimmed bush she got. Her friends finished their look-through in time for her run onto the field they're standing on. Bliss was all smiles, allowing her runners high to deprive her surviving stresses of their sensations. Without a word said, she crouched at the rear of a tree, beaming ignobly at the sunshiny blue. Bliss couldn't wait for her bullies to be beaten and terrified straight. The videos she saw of kids like them meeting fates identical in kind freed her from guilt. Her idea of revenge was beating them black and blue and giving them the harshest of all talking to's, persuading them to never persecute her again. Bliss perceived Mia helping her hurt lackeys jock up the incline meters below. That approach was her message that it was high time for Karma to do her thing. What Karma had planned became heart-sinkingly clear when Bliss peeked out. Her friends hid behind their backs, loaded pistols, crimsonly sculled by I want to make vengeance theirs, and a reminder to never forget what was done to their elders. The nays Bliss rapidly mouthed out in consternation conveyed her utter horror. The guns her friends were armed with quashed her courage to intervene. Her bullies' coming in jolted them back and took her friends back as well. Surprised and upset at the other trios' shapes, features, and tones. The shocks they exchanged took an acrimonious turn when the yellow crosses and red skulls entered their sights. Although all six bore next to no brunt of Gregorio Jr.'s rule, the penitents and post-trauma they grew up with through their parents instilled in them vows to either rid themselves of that shame or convert that stress into something empowering. Those vows were to such effects caused by the fallout of Gregorio Jr.'s 
fall from power, even though Roy Palacio Sr., the man who led that demise, called for justice and not Victor's vengeance. Several of his associates hungered for gouged eyes and yanked teeth. Many scholars saw that disparity as a driving force for the tribalisms plaguing Bromelia a decade later, trickling all the way down to Bliss, her friends, and bullies. At any rate, Bliss confided in her friends everything her bullies did previous to her nervous wait at the lot. That revelation fitted Mia and her wing girls to be tied. But what really hacked them off was how in the dark Bliss's friends were of her ancestry. Her bullies felt it was something they needed to be aware of. Andrina declared now as the time to turn them into firewood for the devil to throw into the pit, instigating their last mean of survival. Mia yelled that Bliss came from a line of yellow crossers that went back to its 1909 formation. Sonia added that the Rubios in particular were tasked with targeting the Navarros, Mesas, and Jadamios. Those pleas freed Bliss of her physical and verbal curtails, enabling her to feverishly pour scorn on her bullies for their heinous lies. Nova called up her ranting about how a century ago, girls like her ruled the schools. No elaboration was necessary for Bliss's friends to know what her call-up meant. The suspicion breaking ground in their heads spooked Bliss into dousing her tongue in little white oxytocin. She sounded off on how her bullies were liars by trade, whose tools brought them the body of support to turn the whole school against her. Bliss gave her friends her assurance that her bloodline was free of any yellow cross impurities. She asked them who they were going to believe, a battered girl who was well on her way to broken heart syndrome, or her bullies who would have taken glee in knowing that they were why her death came to pass. Her choice jounced her friends into seeing through her bullies' verbal onslaught. The sardonic gapes me and company got as a result struck shivers into their tactiles. Their leafy shakes rashed bliss into pleading for her friends to get on with her reprisal. Immediately, gasping in terror, realizing what she just called for. Her bullies' darts for the thicket took away her opportunity to omit her revenge's lethalities. Andrina, Marti, and Rocio shot Mia, Sonia, and Nova paraplegic, then quadriplegic for their hopeless, rapid crawl. Bliss shuddered as her bullies laid in their blood puddles, more or less unable to move. 
her bullies mercilessly turned over. She reluctantly followed her order by Andrina to come see them up close and personal. Her bullies' weakening viabilities were far outcries from the acrimonies saving their death stares. In either case, their injuries bore out Bliss's feeling that nothing she can do will stop the inevitable. Remorseful javelins stuck Bliss's stare at them, expressing to them how badly she wants to stop their trips to glory. Told by Nova to take her fellow feeling and shove it, Afraidy Bliss was asked by Sonia if she was happy she got what she wanted. Then Mia told her that if they burn in hell, her pathetic and cowardly tale will join them there. That was when Andrina, Marti, and Rocio shot in and out of Mia, Sonia, and Nova's brains, finishing them off. The bangs from those bullets plunged Bliss into a screaming and weeping hysteria, buzzing in her friends' ears like mosquitoes in a jungle. Andrina had to louden and sharpen her cry to get Bliss to quit her screaming and weeping. Distraught over her bullies' deaths, she begged for her parents' and brothers' forgiveness, shooting her friends' vexations beyond their breaking points. Marti rebuked Bliss for clinging onto free neglectors who didn't yet should have cared enough to stop her bullying from going as long and far as it did. Andrina made Bliss aware that she and her confidants had seen every post by her, Eldon Sr., Jr., and Trinity, advising her against lying for them as they know it all. Photos, videos, texts, all of it. Rocio wondered what Bliss had to gain out of lying on the behalf of a household that regarded her more as a roommate than a daughter and sister. A brood perfectly fine with giving its inferiors not a grain more or less than the bare minimum allowable by law. Taking what Rocio wondered to heart, Bliss's love for her parents came crashing down. Andrina asked her if she honestly thought her bullies would grieve her had they set her up to be killed. The knives Bliss's ex-bullies had made it patently obvious to her that their minds and appearances had murder written all over them. That realization made Bliss read her brother like a book out to disinform her. It dissolved her compunction over leaving her brother to fend for himself, confident that his friends will do more for him than she ever will. That confidence still didn't atone for the fact that Bliss set up three minors to be capitally murdered. Marti got her to realize that it was either her or them, reminding her to be happy she got her payback, adding that her hell was over and her heaven 
can now begin. Realizing that the banes of her life are gone for good, a side of her bliss never knew existed began to take shape, ridding her of her agonies before, during, and after the killings. Her friends saw no reason for her to stop with the ghouls who bullied her nearly to death, suggesting they kill every bully they can get their hands on. The deepest, darkest corners of Bliss's soul braid on the door to her mind like an angry mob. Delighted by her changing personality, her friends cajoled her into letting that anger, hate, cruelty, and violence unchain her innermost self, addressing her by her full name. That address filled Bliss's mind with a supercilious, prideful, and iniquitous poison that leaned her thunderbolt pose back, intensifying her wicked chuckling into a maniacal laughter. Her laughing maniacism banished her old persona to the corner that the one now in control sat in for 14 years. Now in charge, there was nothing that could stop it from having Bliss or her friends wage a vindictive war on the very people that used their souls, abused their minds, and threw their bodies away like trash. And as fate would have it, that war would travel far and impact many, blowing the whistles on some and firing the imaginations of others, as well as send entire cultures in for their days of reckoning and lengthen the trees of elderly roots. And that, my dystoblicans, was the deepest, darkest corner. Thank you so much for your listening ears, and please be sure to share this show with everyone you know, and make sure they share it with everyone they know. Follow me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Raul hyphen Guerrero hyphen Jr. Send me your questions and feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And finally, I highly urge you to support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypalme slash Raul Guerrero Jr. Supporting the show ensures that its financial and creative autonomies are maximized. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another episode of The Dystopian Republic.